a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 32. 32. I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. How you doing, Chrissy? I'm all right, Ryan. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, I'm far better than last week when I was migrainey. So. Oh, good. We don't want any unhealthy no. podcasters. And enjoying our sunny weather. The summer has finally come. Yes, it has. It's been. Um, it was funny because it was so cold at the beginning of last week, and then by the weekend it was shorts weather. So that was a. Well, I had relatives from Seattle out of town. Yeah. They got to see us at our best. Well, good. Yeah, I have a friend who just agreed to come visit the summer from. Auburn, Alabama, when the heat gets too much for Ooh. her, so we have to find her. She, I think she'd prefer it a little cool and overcast when she comes up here to get a break, but we'll see what, what we can give her. It won't be as humid as it is in Alabama. No. Well, the last week was the general election in Britain, and I started off at 2 o'clock Seattle time watching the alternative election show yeah, on Channel Charlie, 4. Our buddy Charlie. So it was an hour before the polls closed. They were legally prohibited from criticizing any of the candidates, which led to a kind of funny missing words oh. element where he, they would say things about things, but blank, blank, blank. He's a blank, blank, blank. Mm-hmm. And they filled up the rest with pre-recorded bits, including something called Come Dine With Me. Have you ever watched that? No. Apparently, four people get together and celebrities, and they have a dinner party at each other's house in oh, turns. Okay. And then, as they ride home in the taxis, they rate the food and the hosting, and they each take turns. So you see four different dinner parties. Well, you know, I have a childhood friend who lives in Germany now. He's an opera singer, and he was just on a non-celebrity version of this less than a month ago. And thanks to the miracle of the internet, I was able to watch it live when he was on, and he got criticized. Well, (laughs) the funniest thing is, I know how old he really is. He shaved a good eight years off his age (laughs) when he was just, but it was very nice. They got to show him singing and both in a just sort of in his house playing the piano and then all his pictures from doing various operas. And he got to make a meal and he said that every bit of counter space, of which there's very little in any major European city, was taken up by the equipment that these fellows were using. So in the, in the show, he's actually shown piling the old courses as they're coming back on the floor, pushing them <laughs> Anywhere. It's it's atrocious. And he didn't win. Oh. But it was kind of funny because there were a lot of message boards, including one in English, where they were talking about him. And he was really, uh, the girls were quite, the German girls really liked Christer. Oh. Because you couldn't translate, you know, with uh, Yahoo will translate from German for you. So it was kind of funny. I like that Christor, they said. So, mm, well, maybe he'll get so lucky. yes, I have heard of the show just with a different title. It's called... Well, it normally runs on Channel 4, Come Dine With Me, and uh, it's a regular program, but they did a special political edition with some political yeah. people. And I was just like, oh, what an interesting format there. I'm not much into watching these, these food programs, which there are many. Cookery shows, they call them in Britain. <laughs> yeah, well, Christor's was called Das Perfect Dinner. Uh-huh. And... He got criticized because there was so much butter and cream and everything he made, and it did look appalling. Very tasty, but I don't know if I would have been able to eat more than a few bites of most of those things because he was just dousing them with heavy cream and butter and making it real rich. So I would like to see a a version in English because that would be nice. It runs on Channel 4. Okay. 
And then I switched over, switch over to the BBC's coverage, and then that was carried on C-SPAN, so I was able to turn on C-SPAN. And as you may have noticed, there was a hung parliament. Nobody yeah. got the majority, and it took five days, but eventually the Conservative Party and the Liberal Democrats have decided to form a coalition government with David Cameron as the new Prime Minister oh. of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. How funny. So the Tories are back, but the Liberal Democrats have power, which means basically they get some seats in the cabinet mm -hmm. and a voice in the government for the first time since the war. Well, hurrah for the Lib Dems. That's cool. Yes. I think it will kind of ameliorate the more crazy tendencies of the Tories, like, let's get rid of the BBC. Yeah, that's our one concern there, isn't it? Well, of course. That's the whole tie-in you know, to British TV here. But it was fun to watch the results, and the coverage on the BBC was excellent. Um, I'm very fascinated by these swingometers. You know, they basically show what, in each constituency, how the vote has changed from the last election to this election. And you don't really see that kind of analysis done in America. And it would be very fascinating to, mm -hmm. to do that sort of thing, of saying, you know, here's what the electorate did do, and here's what they've done this time. Oh, well. Well, this week's episode, we have news, what's on British TV this week, what's running in the United States, previews of Not Going Out and Gavin and Stacey, because they're coming to BBC America, and a feature on writer Simon Nye. Really? Gavin and Stacey hasn't made it to BBC America? Oh, no, they've shown the first two series, oh, okay. but the third season is now I had thought coming. my mother had mentioned watching yes. that. She loves her BBC America. I've never had that station. I get basic cable with my condo fees, but... You have to put it in the next tier, yeah. yeah. I, I don't care because, as you know, I watch almost no American television. Oh, you're missing some Lost good stuff. Lost is finishing, and I haven't seen a single episode of it ever. So what do these three of these four names have in common? Philip Glenester, Max Beasley, John Sim, and Mark Warren. Well, three were all in Life on Mars. Yes. And? We've done profiles of, them, of three of them as and well. And State of Play. All four of them are going to star in Mad Dogs, a new Sky Perfect. One high-definition drama about a group of school friends who get more than they bargained for when they go abroad for a retirement party. It's being shot right now for broadcast in 2011. So talk about an all-star cast. Yeah, who's retiring? They're not yet old enough to retirement, to retire. Probably somebody else's retirement oh, party. Okay. Yeah, because they're all in their 30s. Yeah. No, it's for somebody else's retirement party. So that's coming out. That's Mad Dogs. The Sounds great. Sci-Fi Channel has acquired the rights to the classic British television series Randall and Hopkirk Deceased from ITV Studios mm. for development as a pilot for a one-hour scripted series that will be produced by ITV Studios. Americans might know the 1969 series better as My Partner the Ghost, as it was retitled for syndication in the USA. It was also remade in 2000 with Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. Yeah, if I can put in a blurg here, I bought the first season of that for pennies. It was just marked down to almost nothing on Amazon Which UK the of, original of version the, or the remake? Vic and Bob. The Vic and Bob one. And it's kind of fun because everyone we like shows up at some well, yeah, point. Yeah, Hugh Laurie's in one. Mm -hmm. uh, David Tennant was in the first one. Yes, they had quite a few celebrity. David Tennant in drag, if you've ever wanted to see that. I guess he did that on the Friday Night Project, so, but... More of a bridal it was, based. It was comedians kind of making a drama series. Yeah, Simon Pegg, Jessica Because Charlie Hines. Hickson was the producer, and he'd never produced a drama before. And they just said, well, let's just have him do it. Yeah. It was an interesting experiment. But I thought the best thing was Bob Mortimer's physical comedy when he gets possessed. and the, by a, he, he was very good, because that seems like 
something you would need to practice. And all I really knew that they did was the pratfalls with hitting each other with big hammers. And I thought he was really, really good. Not quite Steve Martin-esque, but... And he's, he has no acting training. No. He just saw Vic Reeves, or rather Jim Moyer as his real name is, but Vic Rick Reeves doing his uh, live show at a pub. And he just sort of joined in on him and became his partner. Well, they're a good partnership. They're fun. Yeah, I remember watching Randall Hopper Deceased when I was a kid in Canada, and mm-hmm. it took me several episodes because I didn't pay attention during the credits to explain that he was a ghost to figure out why this guy had magic powers and could appear and disappear at will. That was a fun series. So we might get an American remake. Of course, Sci-Fi is working right now on an American remake of Being Human. That's right. I'm interested in that. I, I like the original so much. Well, unfortunately, Russell will not be in the remake, so... Meanwhile, word is MTV will be doing an American remake of Channel 4 Skins to be shown in 2011. The raunchy youth drama was originally shown on E4 in Britain and on BBC America. So yet more American remakes of British TV shows. We need to do an annual thing where we just do all the new yeah, ones this year. the new ones and how many or a few episodes they lasted. Well, cable, you've got a chance to learn the entire season. On network TV, mm-hmm. yeah, it's anyone's guess, especially these days. What's on TV for the week of May 12th through the 18th? On Wednesday, Waterloo Road continues on BBC One. Timothy Spall, Somewhere at Sea, continues on BBC Four. Thursday, Have I Got News for You is back on Thursday night with guest host Martin Clunes and guest panelists Chris Addison and Julia Hartley Brewer. Martin's always good. I bought the first DVD release of Have I Got News for You when Angus was barely booted from the show i think and it actually had so i think it would have been 2002 it had the highlights from the first 12 years of the show oh. but it actually has commentary by paul and ian really they mentioned that martin clunes up to a certain point had become very much the symbol of new lad comedy and the big loud and because of men behaving badly. Which we're going to talk about yeah, later in the but show. But actually, he was extremely well-educated and very, very knowledgeable about current events and history and everything else. And he sort of got to show that a little bit on Have I Got News for You before he shifted in all of his pre- roles that he's now playing with yes. Doc Martin. And, he was only acting when he was yeah, being allowed. <laughs> but he was, Have I Got News for You was a little bit of the real Martin peeking out there. At that time. He's a fine actor. ITV's answer to Coast is the celebrity-filled All at Sea, exploring the south coast of England from Cornwall to Kent and then up to London in a variety of boats. A variety of boats. <laughs> Sorry, I just pictured them hopping from boat to boat. Outnumbered is on BBC One. On BBC Three, Russell Howard's Good News continues. On Friday, the penultimate episode ever of Ashes to Ashes is on BBC One. I'm actually torn between this and Lost, which is also finishing its run in a couple of weeks, for which series is going to have the more outrageous finale. It's great stuff. Maybe Gene Hunt will turn out to be the smoke monster. It's all this huge transatlantic crossover series. Cool. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But they're both heading towards interesting directions. If you haven't caught Ashes to Ashes yet, start watching. It's on BBC America now. You won't regret it. Frank Skinner's Opinionated continues on BBC Two. Friday Night with Jonathan Ross on BBC One has guests including Hot Fuzz star Nick Frost, Warwick Davis, and Alexandra Burke. You know that Warwick Davis is going to be in a new comedy that Ricky Gervais is working on. 
Yeah, he was in extras as well. Yeah, well, it's kind of that same persona mm. of it's Warwick Davis playing kind of a character of Warwick Davis, who's this you know little you know Napoleon and orders everybody around and is really horrible to everybody. And this is Ricky Gervais's next big thing. Hmm. Well, Saturday night at six twenty-five p.m., the Doctor Who episode "Amy's Choice," written by sitcom veteran Simon Nye, will air, and we'll have a feature about him later in the show. And Doctor Who Confidential will be shown at 7.10 p.m. on BBC3. Is there any other show that gets a documentary for every single episode? I can't think of one. There were little Torchwood ones that were like mm-hmm. 10 minutes long. But uh, they're milking it for what's worth. Yeah. The other thing that was annoying about Confidentials was they were getting longer than the episodes. Right. Although last week's was long, the episode was long enough that the Confidential actually was shorter. I haven't even been following them this year. In fact, BBC America has got the cut down confidentials. I, I watched the one on the Weeping Angels on their website yesterday. So, huh, who needs them? Let's see. The remake of The Prisoner continues on ITV1. Sunday in ITV1, another mystery for Kevin Waitley as Lewis in Your Sudden Death Question. On BBC Two is, oh, good, I was wondering when that would be on, is Worried About the Boy, a dramatization of the early, less successful years of Boy George. It stars Douglas Booth as Boy George, Matthew Horn as the little drummer, John, Mark Gatiss, and Mark Warren as Steve Strange. You seem to know a lot about this. I do. Well, it's Mark Warren. And Mark Gatiss will play the recently deceased Malcolm McLaren. I read Boy George's autobiography, and it made me convinced that no matter what direction my life takes, don't mess with Boy George. Okay. Don't work with him at all. He, Were you he, planning to mess with Boy he, George? No, but <laughs> boy, any perceived slight, and he would give it back to whoever had offended him times 100. He really can carry a grudge. Wow. In fact, he might listen to this podcast and, and uh, cut all that out, Ryan. We mustn't dare that bit, or Boy George will be out to get me. Yeah, we wish. So that's Worried About the Boy on Sunday. Monday on BBC Two is Royal Wedding. Set in 1981 in a small Welsh village beginning to feel the negative effects of Thatcher's free market policies, the Royal Wedding of Charles and Di gives the community and the Caddock family a chance to forget their problems and unite. Mm -hmm. It's a TV movie. Have you read the Adrian Mole Diaries? Because no, the, I've seen them, but well, I've not the first read book, them. there was quite a to-do about the Charles and I getting married. It was a big deal at the yeah, time I seen you it, recall. it really got a kind of feel for what it meant for the whole neighborhood in, small, in these small towns. It was interesting. It really affected me because for me, I didn't really know much about it other than there was this woman with floopy hair on the cover of People magazine. So, Channel 4 has a Time Team special, Nelson's Hospital where the team joins a project to excavate a cemetery believed to contain thousands of seamen and marines next to a hospital built in the 18th century near Portsmouth Dockyards. I have been to Portsmouth. I have too. I saw Eddie Izzard there. Oh, I went to the shore and looked at the boats. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, he played a a great big auditorium there. It was a weird place to see a show. No acoustics, but... I'd rather have seen him actually in Britain. Oh yeah, I did in 99. I was really lucky. Seemed for about a year and a half, I would decide to go somewhere and even book a ticket and then discover he was playing a show there. So I saw him a few different places. Oh, okay. That it was just sort of luck that he happened to be doing something and I could go. So that was one of them. Cool. Also on Monday, Channel 4 has Darren Brown Investigates, this week looking at the man with x-ray eyes. (laughs) 
Yeah, sure he does. All right. The Graham Norton Show on BBC One has guests Andrew Lloyd Webber, Minnie Driver, and Ruth Jones from Gavin and Stacey. We'll have more about Gavin and Stacey in just a few minutes. Andrew Lloyd Webber is fun. He's fun on with Graham Norton. They make a good pair. So Well, of course, they've been appearing on Over the Rainbow yeah. to find a new Dorothy for Andrew Lloyd Webber's new version of The Wizard of Oz. So they're, they're buds. Now, he did not write The Wizard of Oz. He's just producing this thing. Yeah, I assume they're using the music from the MGM musical, right? Yeah, I expect they would, and probably stick the jitterbug in there. I like the jitterbug number. They they tend to put it in when they revive it and make it a stage show, so we'll see if that happens. Tuesday, Luther with Idris Elba continues on BBC One. And La La Land with Mark Wooten continues on BBC Three. On BBC America this week, Wednesday, that Mitchell and Webb look and Peep Show continue. Friday night, some comedies are added to the schedule with the return of Gavin and Stacey and the debut of Not Going Out. We'll have a preview of both in just a few minutes. And Friday night with Jonathan Ross is on. Saturday on Doctor Who is Flesh and Stone, and it's also on Tuesday night. Yeah, I reckon you should all watch that. Graham Norton is also on Saturday. Monday, new episodes of Top Gear. Tuesday, more of the second season of Ashes to Ashes. Sunday on PBS's Matchpiece Mystery, more of Foil's War, starring Michael Kitchen. Showtime continues The Tudor, starring Jonathan Rhys-Meyers. The Independent Film Channel has the Johnny Vegas comedy Ideal on Thursday, Friday, and Tuesday. On Adult Swim on Friday night, it's The Mighty Boosh at 1.30 a.m. The Sci-Fi Channel has the second season of BBC's Merlin on Friday night. And looks like Ryan's going to give a preview of Not Going Out and Gavin and Stacey. Yes, two comedies join the BBC lineup this Friday. The first is Gavin and Stacey, which begins its third season, with now happily married couple living in Cardiff and Gavin adjusting to his new job. But he misses his friends in Essex, especially Smithy. Gavin and Stacey is the poster child of the little series that could... Originally shown on digital channel BBC Three, it was repeated with great success on BBC Two, and the final season was shown on BBC One with huge ratings. The entire series has been written by James Corden and Ruth Jones, who play Smitty and Nessa, Gavin and Stacey's respective best friends. The title characters themselves are so sweet and nice that the real focus of the show is their friends and family. Rob Bryden plays Stacy's Uncle Bryn, who's a bit socially inept, but likes to think of himself as one of the cool guys. There have been a number of guest stars, including Julia Davis and Russell Tovey. Gavin Stacy is nice to watch because it's done in a single-camera film style without a laugh track. There really are no jokes per se. It's the observational humor that drive the comedy. No surprise, as this comes from Steve Coogan's Baby Cow Productions and is very much in the style of his many comedies. So check it out if you get a chance, although don't get too attached. Corden and Jones have both said they won't be writing any more episodes, although there's a lot of pressure from fans for more. Maybe a Christmas special? Who knows? You said your mom's a big fan of it, right? Yeah. Have you seen it? A little, I've seen a few episodes. Yeah, I like it. It's, it's an interesting pair because she's something like 12 years older than James Corden, and so definitely a sort of a big sister relationship they have, and he met her doing some job, I guess, and then went through a breakup with a girlfriend. And so she, Ruth Jones and her husband, 
sort of open their house to him because he didn't want to be in the flat alone and he lived with them for a while and that's when the friendship really cemented. So, Ruth Jones and James Corden? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. They wrote themselves supporting roles too. But they get to do all the funny things because right. really Gavin and Stacey don't really do funny. It is Smithy and Nessa mm-hmm. and they're sort of on again, off again relationship. They've had a baby now but Nessa's about to get married to some other bloke. So and they really are kind of you know driving the narrative really because you know Gavin and Stacey have little tiny problems but you know nothing that wouldn't be solved in a seventy sitcom in like ten minutes. But they're very sweet to watch. Yeah, not going out, not staying in, just hanging around with my head in a spin. But there is no need to scream and shout. We're not going out. We are not going out. The second comedy on BBC America is Not Going Out, which is having its U.S. debut. This traditional studio-based sitcom stars Lee Mack as a northern ice cream salesman sharing a flat with his best friend Tim's ex-girlfriend Kate. Kate moves out in the second season and was replaced by Lucy, Tim's sister. Lucy, like Tim, is much more posh than Lee and doesn't seem as anything other than an annoying flatmate. Miranda Hart plays Barbara, Lee and Lucy's cleaning lady, who seems to always be around but never does much cleaning. Can you stop doing that? Well, you wouldn't want people seeing it like this, would you? It's not very clean. I wouldn't want people seeing it at all. I mean, the inside of me colon's probably not very clean, but I wouldn't want a woman going in there with a feather duster. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. (laughs) Listen, cleaner. Told you. I'm not just a cleaner, my name's Barbara. Oh, right. Well, I remember that when the police arrest you for breaking and entering. Actually, entering and breaking. Your friend said he'd left a message. Uh, Tim's my best mate. If this flat was for sale, I think he'd be telling me to my face, don't you? Well, why don't you check? Because I don't need to. I know I'm right. Hmm. All right, I will. Hi, Lee, it's Tim. There's something important I need to talk about. We don't need to hear it all. (laughs) Anyway, I'll pop round at some point. Uh, See you later. Oh, by the way, I've decided to sell the flat, so a cleaner's going to be <laughs> See, he thinks you're a cleaner. <laughs> I would put Not Going Out in the second tier of British comedies. The first tier is reserved for classic shows like Blackadder and Coupling that stand the test of time and are guaranteed to make you laugh. Then there is the second for Britcoms that get laughs but are unlikely to be on your DVD shelf in 20 years' time. The third tier is where unfunny sitcoms like Life of Riley, My Family, and Big Top go to die. The less said about them, the better. But I like not going out. It doesn't try too hard for laughs, and you actually care about the characters. Miranda's very funny in that. I know. I I know she's in it. So keep your eye out for her. She's very good. And Lee Mack, uh, often on the panel shows. Yep, he's he's been what they call the circuit comedian for years and years, playing the circuit of London. But then he's also had a bit more television experience than most people who also are doing the circuit in London get because he does well on TV. So, Yeah, the series has been sort of the left-handed uh, stepchild of the BBC, but they keep making more. So there'll be more not going out. Our feature this week is on writer Simon Nye. Simon Nye has written this week's Doctor Who episode, Amy's Choice, his first contribution to the series. 
He is best known in Britain for writing sitcoms, some of which you may have heard of. He worked as a literary translator until 1989 when he wrote a novel called Men Behaving Badly. ITV decided to adapt it for television, and then-hot comedian Harry Enfield, whom we profiled in show 11, was cast. Enfield suggested his friend Martin Clunes to play his flatmate Gary. After one not terribly successful season, Enfield quit, feeling a proper actor would do a better job. His character was written out and replaced with Tony, played by Neil Morrissey. Uh, is this the flat with the room to that? Uh, yes, who are you? Tony. Tony? You should have come last week. Yeah, I lost a bit of paper with the address on it. Oh, well, come on. I don't know then. what happened, you know. I thought I must have slipped down into the lining of my jacket because I could sort of feel a bit of paper in there, you know. Hi. Hi. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I tried to work it out through my lining out of an armhole and that didn't work, so I ended up undoing a lot of the seams with a pair of blunt scissors, which took, well, ages, and, well, there it was. What? An old bus ticket. <laughs> I found the address down the back of the sofa. Shall I come in again? This is Tony. Hi. Uh, this is Deborah. She lives in the flat upstairs, but I'm working on it. <laughs> That's just me being funny. And this is Dorothy, my sort of girlfriend. Thanks, Gary. Have a seat. <laughs> what do you do, Tony? Uh, I'm in the music business. Do you know Barry White? <laughs> no. Anyway, this is the procedure we'll be following. I'll start by introducing you to the key fixtures and facilities, and then I'll be offering you the beverage of your choice while asking you a series of simple questions. Oh, get on with it, Gary. Well, as you can see, this is the living room with its useful U-shaped seating amenity. Uh, and up here is the extensive glassware facility. Bit of an heirloom there, Tony, so uh, no touchy-touchy. <laughs> now, these are handy units, aren't they? Oh. <laughs> nice pots. Yes, yes, yes. Plenty of potware, useful for uh, cooking and so on. Uh, the cutlery goes in here in the drawer for cutlery. There's the mantelpiece. Yes, that's useful for mantelware. Yeah, I think it could be at home here. Yeah. Oh, moving on. Uh, into the bathroom. I'll show you how to work the jacuzzi later. <laughs> the ratings didn't really improve, and ITV cancelled it after two seasons. And then something really strange happened. The BBC picked up Men Behaving Badly, put it in a post-watershed time slot, and watched it become a huge hit for several seasons until it finished in 1998. ITV's Sloppy Seconds became one of the most popular sitcoms of the 1990s and established Simon Nye's career. It also made stars of Martin Clunes, Neil Morrissey, Leslie Ash, and Carolyn Quentin. And in the end, Harry Enfield did okay too. For some people, Men Behaving Badly perfectly showcased the lad culture of the 1990s with Clunes and Morrissey behaving like drunken louts who just want to shag birds. Nevertheless, critics John Lewis and Penny Stemple have stated the show, quote, allowed male viewers to indulge in vicarious ladism whilst allowing female viewers to ridicule the bad but lovable Tony and Gary. You, you watch Men Behaving Badly? Yeah, I've seen several episodes from throughout the series. Quite enjoyed it always. There was good physical comedy mm -hmm. in it and good character comedy and observation. Carol and Quentin's always fun. She's not a afraid to be really unsympathetic sometimes you often and... wondered why she stayed with gary because yeah. he was such an idiot and you clearly felt she could do better but you know women like that who kind of stick with guys who are kind mm -hmm. of she's kind of dating beneath her she made some big mistakes too though and he forgave her in yeah. terms of being unfaithful and some other things too so you know she could come off pretty bad too i i, I agree he he came off slightly worse but she she couldn't 
really couldn't get her off scot-free. And she became, I've read a few times, you know, she was so sensibly clad because she was a nurse, her character Dorothy. And men just fancied the heck out of her in her nurse outfit. (laughs) It became, they just thought she was just so excellent and I like that because she's she's smart and has beautiful eyes, but she's not a traditional beauty. And I just like that, that they all just wanted their little sexy nurse <laughs> rather than the gorgeous model-esque Leslie Ash. But Not like Carolyn Quentin. She went on to do yeah. Jonathan Creek, and then lately she's been doing a sitcoms, including Life of Riley. Yeah, she started off just as a chorus girl dancing and singing in the background at Les Mis, and then became a comedic leading lady, so that was quite a career. Well, she was in a TV movie that I love called An Evening with Gary Lineker with mm-hmm. Paul Merton and Martin Clunes. And right. it was about Britons abroad during one of the World Cup games. And it ends in this amazing fantasy sequence. And she was married to Paul Merton. They were a power comedy couple for a few years. I think they were only married about four years. It wasn't a oh, really right. long marriage. Yeah. Two years after having written the Men Behaving Badly novel, Simon Nye had a second novel called Wide Boyd published. It, too, was adapted by ITV and retitled first Frank Stubb Promotes in 1993 and later short to Frank Stubbs. Timothy Spall played Stubbs, originally a London ticket tout, or scalper, who becomes a promoter in this hour-long comedy drama series. Leslie Sharp played his sister Petra, who shared house with Frank. In this scene, Frank tries to impress an old flame played by Imelda Staunton. (laughs) Now, that's what I liked about you, Frank. You were romantic. Well, at least at first. Yeah, not like Robbie McConnell. Do you remember? His idea of romance was to warm up his hand before he shoved it up some poor girl's skirt. (laughs) (laughs) He's one of the little chemists at London Bridge now. Do you remember our first date? Oh, don't. <laughs> he took me to this very expensive restaurant, then halfway through realised he couldn't pay the bill. Oh, no, what did he do? Uh, excuse me, I am here, you know. He pretended to find an elastoplast in his pudding and he refused to pay. What was there? I mean, try for... I saw you pick it off your neck and put it in. Frank. <laughs> Didn't want to humiliate myself, did I? Blokes had to pay for everything back then, you know. It's one of those rules in the early 70s. I having to wear a tie as wide as that for High Street. <laughs> And now you're going to save my school. I think you're worth it. So what happened to the spiv I knew? Have you hidden them away for my benefit, or are you a reformed character? Uh, I don't, don't I wash up here. No, Frank, you do enough around the house as it is. I'll let my actions speak for themselves, shall I? I am going to organise for you the most magnificent fundraising event you have ever seen in your life. Uh, A ball... Uh, dinner, celebrity auction, posh dancing and everything. Where? Oh, don't worry. I've got somewhere very exciting lined up. In 1995, Simon Nye created the series Is It Legal?, which did not have the same charmed life as Men Behaving Badly. This ITV sitcom starred Imelda Staunton and Jeremy Clyde as partners in a disorganized law firm. The married middle-aged office manager has a crush on a young delivery girl who barely knows he exists, the secretary doesn't have two brain cells rubbed together, and the junior partner is clueless. It was fairly standard sitcom-y stuff. But everyone was expecting lightning to strike in the bottle again. When ITV cancelled after two years, Channel 4 picked it up, no doubt hoping for the same luck the BBC had had with its ITV reject. Alas, it was still the same lame office comedy and was finally cancelled after three years. In 1997, Simon Nye wrote a TV movie called True Love. 
It's about a city nurse in a dead-end marriage who meets the man of her dreams, a good-looking farmer who falls for her. At first, she lays it on a bit thick about her past, but he accepts her, kids and all. Everyone is happy except her ex-husband who wants her back in this ITV TV movie. Well, it was turned into a series with the ironic title, My Wonderful Life, and continued the adventures of Nurse Donna. Tony Robinson was hilarious in a supporting role as Donna's next-door neighbor, a soft-spoken family man who is so politically correct, it's clear there's not a self-help book he didn't like. My Wonderful Life ran for three seasons. Again, the network wanted to give it every chance to work and didn't want to cancel another potential hit. And I quite enjoyed it, actually. It was it was sweet, and, and I liked the fact that the woman was the main protagonist. In 1998, he created... The BBC One vehicle for Dylan Moran, How Do You Want Me?, about an Irish Londoner who marries a woman from a small country village and then lives to regret moving home with her. He is completely out of his depths in a town where everyone knows one another, and he immediately makes the worst impression possible, especially on his new in-laws who practically control the place. To fit in, he buys the local photography studio but doesn't know the first thing about cameras, and at one point his father-in-law offers him £20,000 to get divorced and just leave town once and for all. He doesn't, of course, because the couple is truly in love, but that never stops the comedic tension. The problem with How Do You Want Me was was trying to make Dylan Moran a nice, cuddly, BBC-friendly personality. (laughs) After two seasons, it was canceled, and Dylan went on to write and star in the much better Channel 4 sitcom Black Books. Right, and that was one of the last things Charlotte Coleman did, too, before she died of an asthma attack. Oh, dear. Yeah, and she played his wife. And she also had mentioned that was the only real role she ever had where she wasn't quirky. She was just a normal person. She was a school teacher. When Frank Finley played her father, mm-hmm. who you know, quite a well-known character yeah, actor Peter in Britain. Peter Serafinowicz played her absolutely insane older brother who absolutely hated Dylan Moran's character and did some truly evil things to him. Yeah, but Dylan was just being Dylan. You know, he'd won the Perrier Award at Edinburgh, and so they, you know, well, let's get this guy into a TV mm-hmm. series. And he just really wasn't BBC One material, but he certainly found his feet in Black Books, which is a fabulous <laughs> series. Also in 1998, Simon and I co-created The Last Salute. This BBC comedy series, set in the early 1960s, demonstrated the long-standing rivalry between the two automobile clubs in Britain, the Automobile Association and the Royal Auto Club. Like our AAA, each provides repair service for members when their cars break down. Unlike the AAA, however, their British equivalents wore official military-style uniforms and cruised the highways and country lanes, freeways were just beginning to be introduced then, in gleaming bright motorcycles equipped with sidecars. Yellow for AA, blue for the RAC. The title of the series refers to the precise salute these men were required to give passing motorists, which on more than one occasion resulted in the loss of control of one's motorcycle. The military aspect is particularly emphasized in the series by Leonard Spanwick, the supervisor of one AA district, who overplans everything, with a disaster usually resulting, and who insists that Esperanto will be the language of the future. And although not hilarious... I enjoyed The Last Salute just because it was a period piece and such a great slice of old English life. And it ran for two years. Around 2000, Simon and I began to write pantos, or Christmas pantomimes. A British pantomime has nothing to do with mimes. It's a stylized production, usually based on a well-known fairy tale or story, filled with celebrities and performed live in front of an audience. Now, some well-known pantomime tropes would be... Generally, the kids will sit down front and they'll... 
The shows will be f full of double entendres that sail right over the kids' heads. And Literally. <laughs> yep, and for the for the grown-ups, a bit further back. There's generally large man in drag, like uh, Christopher Biggins mentioned that when he did I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, that was the first time in over 20 years he hadn't been in Panto at Christmas that year. He's sort of the grand dame of the Panto season. They usually run Christmas time till about March. And then Peter. And they're out. already booking. I already saw John Barrowman's doing Glasgow. Yeah, in, he's in always this Christmas. Prince Charming and something or other. I read that he got married just at a registrar's office and then went right back and did his panto right between the matinee and the evening performance. There's generally singing. There's a lot of audience participation. They should sing along, pretending that they're going to throw water on the audience and it's confetti or candy or something like that, or possibly tr water. That gets done a lot. And they boo and hiss the villain. Yep, you have to boo and hiss the villain. You have to argue with the narrator with the, oh, yes, I am. Oh, no, you're not. Yes. He's behind you. Oh, yeah. You always, the person will say, now, where will they be? I can't find such and such. And so the audience will be screaming that it's behind you or over there, over there. And they're good fun. And Simon and I wrote one. We read about four of them, and, and they were always done at either the Old Vic or Brixton. It's a big theater in Brixton that seats about 5,000 people. I don't. I think they were probably just done once. And all-star casts. And they're filmed and then shown on TV. Right. Yeah, and like the Jack and the Beanstalk one has Paul Merton as the narrator, and Neil Morrissey was in it. Adrian Edmondson played the drag part. Griff Reese Jones, Denise Van Outen, Julie Walters, and Julian Clary were in that one. Yep. And I'll put a clip on my YouTube channel of Neil and Denise singing a, a song full of double entendres there. And it's about how much they're in love and they can't be together and get married yet because of this and that. And they're sad and it's very funny. So we'll put that link in. And then there's Cinderella and that had Frank Skinner in it, right? Yeah, they add, if you see a panto of Cinderella, generally there's a narrator that they've added named Buttons who is just sort of a servant either for the prince or for the Cinderella family and not in any of the actual fairy tale adaptations I've ever read, but he does show up in the panto because there's no narrator character in Cinderella. Now then, the Baroness has got two daughters and they are ugly. Oh, they're ugly. Honestly, they're, oh, they're so ugly, they lay down in the garden last week and the cat tried to bury them. <laughs> So I know what you're wondering now, I know what you're wondering. You're, you're thinking to yourselves, why do you stay here, Buttons? I say, you're thinking to yourselves, why do you stay here, Buttons? Well, I can answer that in one word. Cinderella. Oh. <laughs> I love Cinderella. I love her. Here she comes. Isn't, isn't she lovely? Isn't she? Yeah. Oh, wouldn't you like to cover her all over in chocolate and then lick it off, eh, boys and girls? Yeah. Wouldn't you like to run with her through a field of wet corn, whooping like a mad Welsh bus driver? Hey? Hey? <laughs> well, maybe that's just me. Anyway. And Frank, of course, is just a natural with audience participation and speaking to the audience because he's just such a warm, friendly kind of stand-up style and interviewer that it translated really well i thought to panto and cinderella are alexander armstrong and ben miller in it and ben miller just played a, another character they invented who was um 
sort of a servant of the Prince Charming. They called him Dandini, and he didn't say much. But Alexander Armstrong sang beautifully. So that was kind of fun and surprising, because I had never seen him sing in anything he had done on television. I'm not surprised he's not being classically trained. He could probably do just about everything. Panto's fun. I've never seen one live. I'd like to, if I'm ever in the UK. It's definitely a British art form. I don't know that they've really done anything quite like that here. There's nothing like it here. We don't have a theater culture and you have to grow up on them to know Mm -hmm. the rules, but it is definitely something that is very, very British. Some of the other pantos uh, Simon Nye's written was Aladdin and Dick Winnington. Yeah. Aladdin. That was, um, Ed Byrne played Aladdin. That was fun. Ah, and Dick Whittington legendarily became the mayor of London with the help of a cat, right? Yeah. I didn't, I haven't watched that. I've, I've got it somewhere, but Ah. haven't seen that one yet. In 2001, Simon Nye wrote The Savages. It was a lame BBC domestic comedy about a young married couple who are always arguing, their two wild children, and hapless father-in-law, Jeffrey Palmer giving it his world-weary best. The series wouldn't have gotten on the air at all if it hadn't been written by Simon, who was badly in need of a hit by this point. In 2002, Simon Nye created Wild West, a very quirky BBC comedy starring Don French and up-and-coming comedian Catherine Tate. Set in a small Cornish village, Don and Catherine co-own the town's little shop. My favourite things are fish fingers and sitting outside the pub on a summer's evening with a glass of wine in one hand and a man's genitals in the other. No, only joking. A newspaper. A newspaper and a man's genitals. No, only joking. I don't really like fish fingers. No! Stop it. Stop it. Go and... The What's the point? No one comes in here anymore. There was a time we had a queue from the door here down to the beach of customers who wanted everything from apples to what begins with Z? Yogurt? Oh. Hello. Hi. Hi. We've just moved into Cliff Cottage. Oh, a Triblick's old place. Yes. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Will you be wanting to order any papers? Oh, no, um, no, we're not really going to be down that much. It's more of a sort of holiday home. I know. We come down here, buy up property and drive out local people. So at least we're not Germans. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with the Germans, of course. Oh, no, no, they're, uh, they're great. Good idea, yes. Um, I expect you shopped in Waitrose in London and... Brought it down with you, did you? Yes, we did actually. Do you want to? Thanks. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Nice couple. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> When the series began, the two characters were in a lesbian relationship. I mean, they slept in the same bed together. Then halfway through the first series, Don's character comments that the only reason they are a couple is because they were the only two people in town who weren't already in a relationship when they met. Soon they were pursuing men, and all mentions of lesbianism were completely dropped by the second season. It was a bit like Twin Peaks done as a sitcom, but it, and the town was full of eccentrics, as were the plots, but it was all good fun. Do you remember Wild West? Saw very little of it. Yeah, I, I kind of remember the beginning of it. 
They had a really good yeah. team tune, and I, I just had no real awareness of Catherine Tate at that point. Mm-hmm. She really, you know, it was meant to be a Don French vehicle, and she, of course, was, you know, giving the Cornish accent the full effect there. But I thought that was well, definitely one of the more better Simon Nye sitcoms that we got. In 2003, Simon Nye wrote another ITV workplace sitcom called Hardware that starred The Office's Tim Freeman. Martin Freeman. What? <laughs> you said Tim Freeman. <laughs> Oh. Martin Freeman, a.k.a. Tim Canterbury from The Office. So it's a bit like the macho bonding that Tim Allen captured in Home Improvement, particularly the secret code that seemed to exist between contractors and hardware staff that the general public just can't grasp. And hardware only lasted one season. In 2009, Simon adapted the remake of the Rise and Fall of Reginald Perrin, this time called just Reggie Perrin, for the BBC and was reunited with star Martin Clunes. Alas, political correctness of the 21st century didn't allow Reggie to imagine a hippopotamus whenever he saw his mother-in-law now. Instead, a demolition ball smashes her off the sofa. Perhaps those who toil in offices all day can better relate to this series, but I felt it was unnecessary, especially as it took six episodes just to get to that iconic scene of Reggie shedding his clothes and trappings of his life to walk naked into the ocean to be reborn. So you have not seen the remake? My wife liked it. But then she said, this is my life. This is what I do every day. <laughs> like I say, maybe it's the experiences you have. This Saturday, audiences in Britain and two weeks later in the rest of the world will see Simon Nye's first foray into science fiction with his Doctor Who script, Amy's Choice. It looks like a surreal episode from the trailer. Oh, Toby Jones is in it. He's very good. What have you seen him in? He was in Infamous, which was the other version of the Truman Capote writing in Cold Blood story. Oh. That didn't star Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he played Capote? He did. Okay. The reviewer of one of the Seattle papers said he almost seemed to have been grown in a lab to play the role because he so physically resembled him and got the voice just down. But I preferred that, the script of that one, actually, and the murderer, whose name I can't remember now, was played by Daniel Craig. So that was kind of fun. And he's been, and he's popped up in other things too. He is the voice of Dobby, the uh, house elf in the Harry Potter movies. Okay. And he was in Mrs. Henderson Presents. Oh, that was fun. Yeah, it can be generally creepy, so I think it'll, I think it'll be fun. Okay. You almost have to wonder if Simon Nye and Toby Whithouse, who wrote last week's episode, The Vampires of Venice, got their names switched on the scripts. The cold opening to Vampires was right out of a Simon Nye script. It was pretty funny, though. Mm-hmm. In any case, as showrunner Stephen Moffat has shown, comedy writers can do great drama and write science fiction as well as anyone. And here's hoping that Simon Nye, like Richard Curtis in a few weeks, is able to deliver the goods for millions of fans. Next week, Dennis Waterman. Dennis is a longtime TV veteran. Do, 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 do. Yep. He was on The Sweeney with Dumb, John Thaw, yep. Minder, and currently being seen in New Tricks. So next week, Dennis Waterman. We'd like you to go to our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com, where you can find links to headlines. We also have a link to all the BAFTA nominees, because we're not going to read them all here. Our show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 31 shows. And if you'd like to send us feedback, you can email us to feedback at britishtvpodcast.com. If you're on iTunes, you could rate us or write a review, or maybe you can plug us on your Facebook page. Let's get some more people listening to this podcast. 
Yes. So, yes, TV is definitely the thing I'm looking forward to the most this week. There's shows are going in very interesting directions. And just like, what happens? What happens? Mm. But I get a treat on Tuesday nights now and on Friday nights now and Saturday nights now. Oh, so boy. Something for everybody. Well, I'm still finishing up the very last of the QIs from the season, and I have I got news for you that have aired so far this year. And then I'm going to watch the Darren Brown special from a few nights ago. Great. I'm just about ready to finally replace the computer monitor. It's getting, it's getting to me how dark it is. I know you've been telling me to, but... Well, my uh, multi-standard PAL deck is back in the shop again this week, and I found that you cannot replace these anymore. They don't make multi-standard digital converter all-in-one VCR. Well, you don't, they don't make VCRs anymore. Ancient 20th century technology. So I had to hook up my old PAL-only VCR, and I discovered that you can play PAL on a HD digital television. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I don't need a special television now. Yes, but which of these 10 remote controls over here do you use? I just have 10 to confuse my wife, because that way she won't try to watch TV. On it. I'm just com- kidding, honey. 10 remote controls here. I just I have sitting th- down here in the den, the man den. And, uh, I have three video recorders, a DVD player, two television sets, and the stereo control. So yes, I have a lot of remotes. I'm a guy. What do you expect? <laughs> you have a lot of room. You have at least three remotes, don't you? Yes, it's true. There you go. I mean, a friend of mine had one of those, you know, atomic universal remotes with 37 buttons on there, but it's like programming the Starship Enterprise. So I'd just rather pick well, up a different remote. Two that I use most of the time, and then one for. Oh, one for when I do have a tape to watch occasionally. Yeah, I don't even have the TV remote out there. It's in a box someplace. I actually mm-hmm. have pre-programmed a different remote to turn the TV on and off. So, Anyway, yeah. So, well, that's my video empire down here, which uh, that's what it's all about. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you next week. First week under Tories. Dun, dun, dun. I'm sure they'll be fine. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.